Hello, welcome to PQ, the one and only Pokemon Cube podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Martin, and brought to you with co-host, Connor Lavelle. So, I guess we're here with big number 10, episode number 10, and it's been a little bit of a break. Uh, schedules got kind of hectic, at least on my end. Uh, so, there's a bit of a delay, but we're right back on our schedule. So, uh, you can expect episodes to come out on the regular every other week uh, from this point forward uh, without any hiccups. So, Connor, how are you doing? Welcome back. Doing well. Had a good couple of weeks. Been playing a lot of Cube lately, so that'll be fun to talk about. But uh, yeah, doing well. You know, I have too. It's kind of funny. So uh, doing all the Cube weekend stuff, uh, I've been a lot more involved in that this past month. And I've, I think, counted, I've played in nine different Cubes so far. which oh, wow. is That's awesome. I mean, before COVID would have been insane on its own. So I, I think it's neat having nine different Cubes, just different Cube experiences. So... Definitely attributed to all the people who are submitting their cubes for testing because if you guys aren't aware of how the Discord works, uh, you basically can fill out a form and then if you have a cube that you want, you can put it in there for testing and then we'll run it on one of our cube weekend events. So I try to coordinate that as much as I can and it's been cool to like see all the different cubes, offer feedback, see how cubes evolve. I don't know. I think cube weekend is my favorite event just because there's a lot of variety and it's very casual. So it's been really cool. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, I've, I've played in a couple of Cube Weekends. I don't know, I, I definitely come and go with Cube Weekend. Um, when it first started, I was doing like one to two cubes a weekend. Um, when it comes to testing time, I usually ramp up. Uh, and, and lately I've been doing it at least once a weekend, um, just trying to, trying to stay involved and uh, all that. It's been a good time though, I've enjoyed it a lot. And uh, the casual atmosphere allows you to kind of try new things, which is always nice. I think it's really great for learning if you know that you're trying to learn specific things like if you're trying to test or develop your skills in a certain way then it can be really really helpful because there's really nothing on the line yeah i think that's what i like best about it it's just chill you know we're all kind of here to help the cube builder uh really get into what their cube needs or like you know try to try to break it or try to have fun with it uh it's really just helping each other out uh, i know i had two of my cubes drafted this month i had my own high power cube that i totally revamped since covid and then I had my, actually, my mutant, not my mutant, it's not mutant, it's a regular cube, uh, monotype, couldn't get the word out, monotype uh, aqua cube, which was a lot of fun. That one's been particularly more challenging to build just because without weakness, um, which is kind of the whole premise behind it, uh, it it definitely skew, it changes things. You have to like be very careful with like what the numbers do. And like if one card is just way better than the others, it's there's not a lot of ways to balance that. So you have to make sure that your power level is set really strong as far as like you're like really firm on your power level and that you're not, you know, adding in something that is just insanely better than the rest, which was some of the problems I had. I know like I had Kingdra Prime, which on paper it didn't seem too bad, but uh, as a stage two that pretty much does just one for 70 uh, or just one put damage counter anywhere else uh, ended up being really good. So stuff like that, uh, stuff like, uh, even like Lana, which is a card that I rarely will say is, you know, broken. But when your whole deck is water and like that's, the, you know, the cube, it's a lot easier to synergize with. So it's been interesting to see how cards like that have been problematic. So drafted it last week and got a lot of good feedback. So um, I'm definitely I'm definitely thankful for this event that we run because it's allowed you know, me as a builder to, you know, grow from that. So that's been pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. It's uh. Uh, just a lot of good opportunities in general, you know, if you're a cube builder, if you like to play in cube, if you want to improve different parts of your game, lots of different uh, different reasons why you might gain 
knowledge or uh, have a good time with Cube Weekend. So definitely give it a sign up if you have not yet. Um, super casual, doesn't even take a whole day, and uh, it's just really easy to get involved. Yeah, so I guess we sh- we'll talk about another event that we do in the Cube Discord, and that is Cube League. Uh, so we're kind of rearing up towards the end there. Connor, you just want to provide a, an update how that's all going? Yeah, so we are in top four right now. Uh, I did make top eight this time around and exited in top eight. I uh, lost to JL, who I would expect to win the event most likely. Um, I, I expected him to be in the finals at the beginning, and his deck has proven time and time again that it absolutely deserves to be respected as much as it is. So um, absolutely fantastic deck there. But we are in the top four. Uh, top four ends on Friday, if not earlier. And then we'll be moving up into the finals, and hopefully we will be able to live stream those finals this weekend. So that will be very exciting. More information to come on that exactly as far as when times would be concerned. But um, yeah, that, that's where the current league is. And then uh, we have the next league coming up as well. So May 1st is the draft day. That's a Saturday, uh, 12 p.m. Central Time. That is, you know, the standard draft time. We also have the 6 p.m. pod once again because it does allow so many more people to draft. So uh, we're actually up on Limitless now. We have an organizer account and uh, very excited to have that, give it some more visibility, also be able to use their tournament hosting software, which is really cool. Um, so uh, lots of cool stuff. The upcoming cube is going to be JL and Mike Gibbs's Delta Mutant Cube. So it's a mid-power mutant cube, which I find is rare. Usually mutant cubes are higher power levels just because that's kind of what mutant lends itself to. And uh, I've been having a blast with it. I've drafted it twice now, twice now in the last couple of weeks. I also drafted it like way long ago, like a year or six months or something when they first made it. But uh, it's uh, come a long way and it's just so much fun. Yeah, like so if anyone's listening to this and hasn't played in a cube league before, I really think you should check this one out, especially if maybe mutant sounds a little bit more interesting because of all the different stuff that can happen i've drafted this one before too uh i think it's really cool um it's not often that we see a mutant cube come through the discord especially one that has adopted a lot of popularity so uh definitely check out the list we'll put the list in the description but it is a blast i can definitely uh back up what connor said it is a ton of fun a low power low power mutant cube has definitely offered a lot of like variety in terms of deck building and strategies because you don't have to like force yourself to play something that has to like win the game on turn three or four like you do in really high power mutant cubes but in this one it's a lot more strategic uh, i thought the cube builders did a really good job of offering like lots of uh, balanced archetypes i feel like when we talk about this cube like yes admins or after a play session it's normally like okay maybe like one or two cards needs tweaking but there's not like one type that's like undraftable so if you're really interested in drafting cube, like I highly recommend checking out this one. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Super excited to see how it goes. I think this one's also really nicely balanced as well. We only really have a couple of cards we're still looking at right now. So uh, lot, lots of good stuff. This is a fantastic league to get involved with. And if you've never played Mutant, then this is an excellent time as well. A lot of the time, Mutant Cubes are plagued with uh, balance issues just because, you know, they, it is such a difficult thing to balance. You really have to be concerned about the power level of every single card. So uh, if you want the opportunity to play this cube, then uh, sign up on Limitless. We can put the sign-up link in the Discord or in the, the description as well. And you can also find it on the Discord server as usual. Something else right before we get into the crack pack that I want to bring up that is huge news, probably some of the biggest news we've had 
in the community in a long time is the launch of Cube Kogo, which is, if you don't know, it is one of the, I don't know, I think it's one of the most interesting Cube websites I've ever seen. Basically, uh, Best Pal Al, who is a very active member in the Discord, one of the admins, developed this whole site where people can basically upload their cubes and you can look at them. You, they have ways that you can make packs and out of them. You can basically, you can basically do everything you could have done in the Discord and the sorry in the Google Sheets uh, drafter, but more. So he really he really did such a great job. I think you should go check it out in the description right when you get a chance. Um, Connor, what do you got to say? You got anything to say about Cube Koga? I think it's just been a complete game changer in terms of how the community's been operating with everyone being able to share their cubes so easily. Yeah, I mean, Cube Koga, Cube Koga is Cube Koga. <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. Um, I could not say enough good things about it. It uh, is an amazing place to build cubes. It's an amazing place to share cubes. You can build your decks in it. You can export your decks from it to untap. You can export your cubes into a drafter. You can export your cubes into tabletop simulator, which is functionality that we've really never had before. So, so many amazing things able to be done in Cube Koga. And uh, it, it really has just made everything that we do so much easier to look at and so much easier to do. So, um, I uh, could not say enough positive things about Cube Koga. Best Pal Al is doing amazing work. And uh, and he's, I mean, he's really just doing it because he likes Cube, I think. And he likes the community and probably likes development too. <laughs> but uh, it's been absolutely incredible. Yeah, I, I um, you'll probably hear us mention it quite a few times, especially because this is the primary way we look at Cubes now or when we're doing our cracker packs is how we get the packs now. So if you hear Cube Koga, just know it's a, it's a website for cubes. So as simple as that. But if you haven't, I would definitely recommend checking it out after this episode. You'll have tons of fun looking at all the different cubes. I know I have three or four of my cubes on there. There's like has to be over like 30 at this point. I see a ton of different cubes on there and there's more every day. So you can register through Discord too if you want to upload your own cubes or maybe you want to make one. Maybe you haven't had the time yet to make a cube and you want to take a stab at it this is a great place to do it it's so easy it's way easier than even using the drafter tabs was before so it's never been easier to make a cube and of course if you do make sure to share it in the cube list uh channel in the discord so that we all can see it um but anyway we talked enough about that let's go right into our crack a pack so connor what are we looking at from this uh pack from jl and mike gives the mutant cube yeah, so we have officially switched over to our next cube. Going to be taking a look at this one a couple of times. This one will be really fun because it is a mutant cube, so lots of different things that you might have to consider. But funny enough, this first pack I did not pick because it has anything to do with mutant at all. I picked it because I wanted to show off the decision-making around DCE. So I will head right into the card selection here. So we have a Togetic with... Holy Shield prevents damage from dark Pokemon. Dive, two colorless for 30. And Rainbow Moves, three colorless. Uh, use one of your opponent's bench Pokemon's attacks. So really neat stage one. I have actually used this in runs this cube so far. And I was really impressed. You know, two for 30 in this cube. Not great, but not terrible on a stage one. Um, it is a pretty middle power level, even mid-low. So um, you, you do get some mileage out of that. And then Rainbow Moves can be a really sweet attack if your opponent's setting up something on the bench and kind of using something in their active to take hits. So lots of cool stuff on this Togetic. Uh, fighting resistance is always really nice. Uh, we have Crushing Hammer. Poison Barb, Ho-Oh EX, it deals 10 plus 20 for each type of basic energy card attached to Ho-Oh. Uh, Sky Arrow Bridge reduces the retreat of basic Pokemon by one. 
Deoxys. Uh, it's the colorless Deoxys Delta species with form change. Can switch with another Deoxys in your deck. Has two colorless for 20 crystal laser. During your next turn, Deoxys' attacks do 40 more damage to the defending Pokemon. And a double colorless energy, which is one of the reasons why I picked this pack today. Uh, Volkner, Rockets Admin, and uh, Milotic Delta species with sharing. So it allows you to look at your opponent's hand each turn and use the effect of a supporter you find there. So it's a smear goal, but it can be used anywhere, which is a really nice, a powerful ability to have. So Andrew, what are your first thoughts on this pack? So I imagine my thoughts are probably gonna be a little bit more concise just because I don't have a lot to say about this pack. Um, I will say there are quite a few decent cards that I like. Um, the colorless Pokemon to me seem like a strong line, so I'm always interested in that Togetic, but I don't think that's what I'm heavily leaning towards. Sharing's also a good like consistency Pokemon, um, but I don't know if I'm going to see any fire Pokemon or any colorless Pokemon that I'm going to play in my deck. So really, I'm between the DC and the admin. Uh, frankly, uh, just out of my own... I guess you could say habits. I would probably lean more towards the admin. I know the admin's a strong card. It's a card I definitely want to be playing uh, in any deck to slow other decks down. Um, and I'm not quite sure what attacks I want to be using with the DCE. I have not studied this cube. Uh, it, the DCE, I guess, might have more utility depending on what the attack costs generally are. So if more attacks lean towards that double colorless, then perhaps it's probably generally going to be for a strong strategy. I'm sure you'll be able to tell me more. But uh, I think out of just, for the current information I know now, I would probably be leaning towards the admin because of its strength and the, and the hand disruption does seem to be quite strong. Yeah, and I do think that the admin is the pick that most people would go for in this case. But the reason why I picked this pack, uh, so I, I think there are three strong cards in this pack. Uh, double colorless energy, rockets admin, and then sharing Milotic. Sharing Milotic being a really nice consistency tool that you can use all game. Of course, being mutant, very easy to get into. And if your opponent either hits a dead hand or they're playing around it, you can evolve out of it and you really didn't lose anything. You haven't lost the bench space or anything like that. Um, but uh, so my pick here would, would be tough between the admin and the DCE, but I think I would go for the DCE in this cube. So I've had the opportunity to play it several times now, and every single time I have a DCE or I see a DCE played, the card is an absolute powerhouse. There are so, so many attackers in the cube that can take advantage of the card in every single line. You are never gonna be sad that you have a DCE, and often it's going to just be plus one turn advantage uh, because you're going to get an extra energy in play that your opponent can't um, can't interact with. There's not a ton of special energy removal in the cube, so uh, something to keep in mind as well. But even if there were, there are so many attackers that can take advantage of this. And in Mutant, that's often going to be the case um, because there are so many different line toppers and so many of your basics and stage ones are going to be powerful as well. Um, DCE gains a lot of value. Now, the reason why I wanted to talk about this pack as well is because DCE as a card is very interesting in cube. And, and sometimes people think that it's too powerful or think that it's more powerful than it is. Sometimes people think that it's not as powerful as it is. And uh, I think cube builders really over-prioritize it in cubes because it's been a staple of the format for so long um, that they just see it as, as a necessary inclusion. But if you want to lower the power level of your cube, if your attackers don't have multiple colorless energy requirements, then DCE is a card that you can actually exclude entirely from your cube if you'd like. It is not a necessary card to put in. Uh, and as a drafter, 
DCE is a card that you really have to evaluate. Um, you you have to evaluate how easy it is to interact with a card. You know, how many things like Enhanced Hammer, Faba, Zerosic are there in the cube? Uh, and how many attackers in various lines are using double colorless energy? You know, if half the lines in this cube are using double colorless energy and using it really well, I'll probably still take the admin out of this because admin is such a powerful supporter. However, in this cube, there are literally attackers in every single line that will make amazing use of this double colorless energy. And there are also four rockets admins. So odds are I can probably get another admin effect, even if it's just a judge. Uh, and have that hand disruption for the late game or anytime my opponent builds a big hand. So this DCE is super, super valuable to me and I'm pretty much going to play it in any deck that I build, which is why I go for the DCE over the admin here. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think I hadn't looked at this pack again, maybe with that, you know, thinking about that, then I'd probably be swayed to take the DC as well. Although I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't go off and say, okay, I'm going to take DC and not know why. So I think I think with that information, you definitely make a strong case for it. And I also kind of want to tie this in too, because I know our previous episode was all about drafting the hard way. And um, and that, that can take a few tries at it to really kind of get the gist of what that's about. And this is one of those things where you don't want to take a card that is going to necessarily cut, it's going to cut you off. And given how DCE works in this queue and that there are lines in, there's every line can utilize it essentially you're you're at a good spot to take this card um and, but if you're not like if any of this dc is only good in like one or two types that's where you want to start to consider more of like the admin or things that are going to give you more options later on you know what i'm trying to say yeah and and in cases like that you know it really is a sliding scale of how many lines are going to be able to make good use of this dce and how much is it going to matter in the cases where you can use it you know Maybe you have a bunch of colorless attacks in your deck, but you have really strong acceleration for basic energy. Well, then that might mean that DCE is also weaker in that deck, even though you have the attackers to use it with, just because the energy is not really a problem for you. You know, you want to try and build advantage in other ways. But um, in a cube where DCE is only useful in three or four out of, let's say, eight lines, uh, I'd take the admin because the admin is very powerful. Um, and if the admin weren't there in a mutant cube, I would be tempted to take sharing my Lodic as well, because that is a very powerful game long advantage that you can develop by being able to use supporters out of your opponent's hand every single turn. And it's not a mandatory clause like it is on Portrait Smeargle from uh, Call of Legends or Undaunted. It, um, it's a may. So, you know, your opponent only has a Juniper in hand. You're not forced to use the effect and discard your hand, which makes this ability so much better than Portrait. In addition to, of course, being able to be used on your bench and being evolved out of. So I really love the sharing Milotic. I might even be tempted to take it over the admin in this cube specifically, just because there are so many admin effects. It's going to be a lot easier to get them later on, although not necessarily a guarantee. So, um, and then, of course, if the DCE is only useful in one or two lines, or if it's useful in a couple of lines, but really doesn't give you that much of an advantage, I'm not going to be into that. To, or I'm not going to be very high on it at all. Uh, probably take a couple of cards over it. Although, with the relative weakness of the rest of the cards in this pack, I'd still probably take it third. Um, but uh, I might even consider something like a Volkner before it. Yeah, so lots of good things to think about. And if you're listening to this and you have any thoughts on this pack or anything you would like to share, maybe there's a different pick that you'd like to say or maybe there's something you didn't realize before and you'd like to share with us, please let us know in the comments. We'd love to read your guys' thoughts. We always do. So 
leave those down there. We we always respond. We try our best to at least. So make sure to let us know. Maybe there's a different card you would take. Um, but you can always you can always let us know in the comments. So I think that's gonna wrap us up for this intro segment. But stick around. So when we come back, we're gonna be talking all about our cube breakthroughs and what ways we've been leveling up in cube so far. So stick around. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to our main segment. So something that we thought would be kind of interesting to talk about would be breakthroughs that we've had. And basically what those are, are just moments to where, sort of like aha moments where you figure something out and it really expands your game or quote unquote leveling up. Uh, I think that's more of a magic term, right? Leveling up in cube. Yeah, I think leveling up is used really commonly in Magic, and come to think of it, I, I use it so much now because I've been in Magic for a while. Uh, it's really not used in Pokemon at all, So, uh, but it makes a lot of sense, and I like it a lot. And uh, given Pokemon's origins, I think it makes a lot of sense too. So uh, yeah, leveling up, it's uh, essentially just getting better in, in a real and tangible way. And uh, sometimes it's like an aha moment, and a lot of the time in retrospect, it's an aha moment, but um, it, it's not always. Sometimes it's just kind of gradual improvement, especially on smaller things. So um, I think that it's really important to continue to try and improve as you go. You know, if you want to get better at Cube, um, I think improvement is one of the most satisfying things, you know, to be able to look back and say, wow, I've really gotten better than where I was before. Uh, and we have, Andrew and I have, experienced some of those moments even recently um, playing cube for years there's still so much to learn so um, we wanted to talk about that today and go over some of our uh, findings that we've experienced recently and just talk about it a little bit while we're still very much active in cubing and we do this pretty much weekly is that we're always learning new things while we're going so doing a segment just to talk about how we've grown and things that we picked up along the way felt like a really, I don't know, really, really cool thing to discuss. And of course, we're two different people. We're experiencing two different things at the same time. So um, definitely different perspectives to the table is going to be really cool to talk about. Absolutely. Very excited to get into it. So Connor, why don't you start? What's your first breakthrough that you want to talk about? So uh, my first one is... Um one of the one of the two that I really want to focus on and one of the ones that I've been working on most recently and that is editing and um, they they use editing in like cooking in fashion in, in a lot of stuff and essentially all it means is refining your deck your draft your not your play usually but it, it's surrounding the deck and draft um, down to the best and most essential parts of them so that you can make them do those things as well as possible. Um, and, and that ends up being very complicated and, and difficult to do and often difficult to even identify what that might be. So, uh, so I have some notes here, um, some examples, and uh, just gonna get right into it. So with editing, essentially, editing is something that you really are going to want to build up after you understand the strategies, you understand what's strong, you understand how to make a good deck, how to you know build powerful synergies and develop a deck that has a strong strategy, now you need to refine that. You need to cut it down, cut out the fluff, 
identify the cards that are not going to be as powerful as maybe you initially thought, or in practice they're not going to be as, as effective. So um, you, you really have to think practically. And part of that, for me at least, is thinking less about the payoff and more about exactly how that's going to come together. So I especially used to really get wrapped up in thinking about how much I enjoyed using big attacks and big combos, you know, multiple stage twos to either lock the opponent or accelerate two attackers. Um, Andrew, do you have any kind of similar experiences to that? Sort of. I mean, to think like, um, you know, probably a good example would be our latest team challenge deck. And I played most of the team, so I feel comfortable talking about it. <laughs> Not like it's a big secret. Um, so like when I built my my first edition of the deck, uh, it, it was mostly evolving around just multi-attack uh, multi energy cost attacker. It was like a grass, of like a like a fighting a lightning, and the payoff was that you do like a bunch of damage. And if you can get the board set up really well, like I had smear gold to switch the energy off, so it would have been a neat deck. But you're not really getting as much value out of a big tack like that when you're taking like three or four turns at a high power cube to set up with. So um, I know like we talked about this was uh, that's one of the benefits of team challenge. You get to work with the team on it and. I think the consensus was that like, you know, the payoff for this wasn't too, was, you know, felt, you know, 240 is one shot at anything, but you know, the, the time it takes to set up and find three energies in a, a cube like this was just difficult to say the least. So I think, I think that, that for me, and it was kind of a, a point where, okay, maybe we need to switch gears and you, you definitely helped steer me there. We need to maybe focus it down more on, uh, what are, what is more achievable with this kind of deck, you know? Oh, that was a good one for me as far as editing goes. Yeah, and so like I said, uh, it, it's really easy to kind of see how things work together, see how things can be powerful together, how they can affect the game, and um, you know the outcome of, of what that might be. But in a lot of cases, you lose sight of how a game will actually go. And I know for me, I really love to have a lot of options and a lot of different avenues that I can take to win games. And uh, it can really get out of hand if I'm playing multiple lines or a bunch of extra cards to do that. So being able to look at your game and really think about, you know, how are these prizes going to be taken? How am I going to be setting up my attackers? How am I going to be executing my strategy? And what parts of this deck are either not going to be as good as I initially thought, or just going to be extra, going to be win more cards, going to be superfluous, uh, unnecessary. Um, so a couple of ways that you can do that, uh, if possible, testing. Testing is really helpful. You know, if you're playing in any of our events, whether it be Cube League, Team Showdown, then testing is going to be an absolute possibility. If you're playing around the table with your friends, if you're playing a Cube Weekend, then definitely not going to be as much the option. So. Uh, but testing can be really, really helpful. It can give you a, you know, very tangible example of exactly how games are going to go in practice as opposed to just in theory, which is what you're working off of normally. So, you know, give give your testing games value in your mind. You know, if, if your deck doesn't set up as well as you'd like, if it doesn't perform as well as you'd like, don't write it off as saying, oh, you know, this is not going to be my average game unless, you know, you have ridiculous prizes or something. Um, Think about it in the sense of, okay, maybe maybe this deck is not going to function exactly how I thought it would, and make an adjustment accordingly. Uh, but beyond that, um, evaluate how much of a given effect is really needed. And that's a big one that um, I still you know work on and think about today. Um, I even just removed a couple of search cards from my sealed cube deck, which 
would be normally unheard of in a draft, but um, it, it really was a state where I just had too many search cards in my deck. So um, things that you might look at are um, high energy one-shot effects. You know, how many Pokemon do you really need in your deck that that need, or that can, you know, one-shot your opponent's Pokemon for a very high energy cost? A lot of the time, you really only need like one. If your deck totally revolves around them, then you could probably go as high as three or four, but you have to gauge your ability to set those Pokemon up. You have to think about what your usual Pokemon, what your usual attackers are going to be. Uh, so that's one angle to think about. Consistency is another one. You know, you must play enough consistency, but you don't need to play every single supporter out of the 20 that you drafted. It's just not needed. So evaluating exactly what your supporters are doing for you, whether you're getting the consistency that you need out of them, and when that can be trimmed down a little bit to add more space for other stuff can be really helpful. Energy is another one. I always encourage higher energy counts as high as 15 pretty commonly. However, there is a point where you don't need as many energy. Maybe you have very low energy cost attackers. Maybe you have lots of ways to get them back and you can trim down to say 14, 13, even 12. Um, depending on the deck, you could even go as low as nine, I think I've done, um, in energy decks, decks that require energy to attack. So. You do need a higher energy count than usual. However, you can trim energy down given the right deck. Um, disruption is another one that I have. You know, uh, it's very easy to jam a deck full of disruptive cards because everyone has lost to disruptive cards before. People have lost to Flare Grunt. People have lost to Enhanced Hammer, Judge, and Reset Stamp. All of those cards, people have lost to. However, you have to think about what they're actually doing for you in your game. A lot of the time, the games that you lose to those cards are because the game was already very close and your opponent just happened to use that and, and then that gave them the edge they needed to win, but it didn't make their game on its own. So you really need to think about how much disruption you need. Um, you know, some decks, they don't need disruption at all because their strategy is just good enough to win a game no matter what they do to their opponent's resources. You know, you can say, well, I'm gonna one-shot you every single turn once I get set up, so I just need to set up as quickly as possible and disruption is not important. And decks like that do happen all the time. Uh, I played a deck over the weekend. It was very similar to that. I actually played 28 Pokemon. I played exactly zero disruptive cards in the entire deck. And the whole idea was just that the faster I can set up, the faster I can start one-shotting my opponent's Pokemon. I had lots of very high damage attackers, lots of great acceleration, and uh, and that was what happened. Uh, I was able to just put out enough damage that my opponents couldn't really deal with it. And uh, then recovery is another one. Uh, generally, you don't want to be dropping recovery. <laughs> but if you have three or more, you can probably trim down to about two. And then tools are my last one. Um, Tools are a card that I often see people use too many of. Really, you don't need more than like four at most. And a lot of the time, the, the golden range for tools is going to be like two or three, because you always want to be able to use them as well as possible. So those are another area where you might trim down even cards that are pretty good if uh, if your deck, you know, just needs other stuff. So um, and, and the last note I have on this is to learn over time. Uh, you evaluate your drafts. See exactly what you use, what you didn't use, what could have been useful maybe if you had drafted it, what uh, was less useful than you thought. And this is a very much a learning over time thing. I think all of today's topic is going to have an element of learning over time, taking your experiences and translating them into action in the future. So definitely keep that in mind. And uh, 
really look at your decks with a critical eye and see what you might be able to take away from that in the future. But uh, with that, I'm going to pass it back. Andrew, you have another great point to go over. Yeah, and before I do, I, I would like to piggyback off what you just talked about. Um, I do think if you're someone listening to this and maybe you just started cubing that, don't feel like you have to be an expert at all of these fields right away. And I, and really, like Connor and I have both been cubing for several years now, and we're just now getting to this point. So don't feel like the onus that, okay, I need to now understand editing. Um, just take it as maybe information that you can maybe take a piece of. Um, I find that that's help more helpful than trying to master all of this at once because you do need to know how to walk before you can run in that, in that respect. So uh, when you're trying to apply these breakthroughs to your own draft, which I hope we hope you can, and, and you should be able to, um, definitely make sure you understand the fundamentals first. And if you feel like that's where you need help, then I implore you to check out our first set of episodes where we go into that more in-depthly. Um, but uh, what... What we just got to talk about is very useful information, uh, especially as you have more experience. But the one I cannot emphasize more is that this is just learned over time. So uh, if you feel like you're having a hard time necessarily grasping this or really uh, applying it to your own game, I just give it time, you know, take each draft as it comes and try to learn something from that. That's really how this process works. So this might have, this is basically what we're showing is a, a, uh, we're showing it all kind of at once, but it's really more of a, a series of, you know, drafting consistently that has got us here. So just wanted to mention that just because uh, I've been there before, too, where you, you hear people talk about maybe a certain skill or uh, a certain level at a certain skill. And you you, re you think, well, OK, I just need to chuck these cards out and put these cards in or something. And then you end up totally confused and no one likes being in that situation, especially if you get flustered. So just take it. Take the pieces that apply to you, but don't feel like you have to be a master of all of this at once. And this is mostly just coming from our personal experience. So your experience might be a lot different. Um, yeah, I don't know if I, you have anything you want to say on that too, but uh, I just felt, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great point too. Um, this is this episode on the whole is is very advanced uh, compared to some of the topics that we've talked about in the past. These are things that have taken a lot of time to develop. Their time, things that will continue to take us time. They'll definitely take you time. Um, it's not something that's going to happen instantly. And um, if you're new to Cube, if you're just trying to learn, kind of even learn the ropes, then the best thing that you can do is just play Cube and see what your opponents do. You know, if you win, try and figure out why you won. If you lose, then try and figure out what your opponents did that was so powerful. And try and separate yourself from the mindset of getting unlucky or. Um, you know, my opponent had this card that was so much better than mine and, and really think about what made those things come together. And um, as long as you are thinking actively, then you will continue to improve. The, the only time that you'll stop improving really is if you kind of uh, get complacent. This has definitely happened to me before. I don't know about you, Andrew. You kind of feel like you're in a spot where you can't get much better and, and then you kind of stall out. Uh, and that happens to probably everyone as, after they've done this for long enough. So um, as long as you are actively thinking about your cubes, um, you know, while you're doing them, after you've done them, and in the lead up, then uh, then you should be on your way to making a lot of the improvements we talk about. Yeah, I definitely am, am no stranger to complacency as, as most people are get to that point and, and really anything. So I, I can definitely sympathize and have been there. Uh, this next one we're talking about, actually, um, I was kind of getting to that point for a while where 
You know, it's not so much that you think you're just too good, but more so that you don't know where the next step is or what are you missing in this piece. So for me, and I knew this going into uh, when I got back into the Cube Discord and wanted to play more events that uh, while I have a lot of experience building cubes and playing Pokemon, I mean, I'm a regional champion. So I mean, like, I, I, I know how to play the game, but like drafting is its own beast to me because that's something I haven't really experienced before. I mean, I'm not a very, I'm not, I haven't played a lot of other card games before this as far as like magic draft or, um, any sort of thing like that. Um, so drafting in on its own has been its own sort of puzzle for me figuring out. And actually a huge breakthrough for me happened, uh, when we were having the discussion about drafting the hard way, which for, for me is pretty much a, a really sound article on, um, where the priority should lie. And well, we talked about that at a nauseam in the previous episode, if you want to give it a listen after this one, I think the biggest takeaway uh, for me, especially after I had probably my worst draft possible in this previous cube league, uh, was identifying which lines are open in the draft. So the thing with Pokemon Cube that makes it, I think, one of the most skill-intensive uh, ways to play Pokemon is this way of drafting and figuring out the Pokemon you're going to put in your deck. So while some cubes I've seen just give you like the evolving basics, uh, most cubes don't. You have to figure out on your own how you're going to then pick those cards. So if I want to play Blastoise, I have to draft those on my own. Uh, that's probably not any surprise to anyone who's listening at this point. So for me, a lot of that kind of revolved around at first picking the lines themselves. So uh, I can probably play off my own cube for experience, but like let's say I wanted to drive, draft Hydreigon. Um, I would I wouldn't think okay well if I want to play that deck I obviously need the Pokemon first that's that's the most important thing uh, which I mean if you listen to the previous episode you know where I'm probably going with this um, but so I would think okay if I don't see the Pokemon or if I do see the Pokemon that's my indicator of whether I should play that line or not and what I what I was finding and this kind of aligned with what they said in, in the article the drafting the hard way is that uh, I'd feel like kind of like a glass cannon at times where at, at some drafts my deck came together really well and it was like 3-0 uh, on maybe on the cube session or you know 2-1 but then other times it would just completely fall flat and I felt like I was having a huge just like hot mess trying to get through a draft or like I I'd get onto a line and then it would just turn into this um, this chaotic like okay I don't even know if my lines open I'm not able to see like what what is happening. I couldn't read like the the signals at all. But what really kind of tied it together for me was the idea that the linchpin cards, and that is cards that essentially make the deck, are way more important signals than the lines themselves. So uh, a good example in Vents Cube, since we've talked about that one before a lot in the past, is a deck like Dark Box. So Dark Box in Vents Cube, the Sun and Moon uh, GX Cube is it has a lot of pieces to it and it might be a confusing one to think whether it's open or not, but, uh, you have four Weavile GX right off the bat. So those are obviously cards you want to pick up. Okay. You want to pick up some dark type attackers, maybe a dark patch or a B string. Um, but all those cards are important for the deck and Weavile certainly is the card that makes it. Um, that's not the cards I'm necessarily looking for. The cards that necessarily speak to me are stuff like the Guzzlord GX stuff like that have like a powerful attack. So that card is going to be a really good addition to a dark box deck that you see. Um, if you see a Guzzlord GX pass you, maybe pick three, pick four, 
like later in the pack. I don't think it would wheel, but if it did, that's again playing to this point where that's an indicator that line is open. If someone passes me Weavile GX and there are four in the cube, that is not a good signal. That I mean that that is good to know. Okay, no one's taking the Weavile yet. And maybe it'll pass around the table. But like if I take the Weavile, and I have Weavile GX in my in my draft, I don't have necessarily the the right information to say, okay, I got dark box is completely open. Rather, looking at cards like Guzzlord or looking at, let's just say, Lola Eggs, looking at the the Shuckle. Like those cards that make the deck work, those are the ones you want to notice for because those are the ones that let you know, okay, if someone's drafting this deck, they are surely going to take this piece. So the fact that they're not taking this piece is a good indicator that that line is open. And before, I would say, okay, no one's taking any of the Lola Eggs. So I, I know that line's open. Where that's, again, not always the case. So. Um, you want to look at building your deck around the cards that make those archetypes powerful, not necessarily having the Pokemon themselves. Because for me, what I had to learn was that just because you have the Pokemon that make a powerful deck, you don't have you don't have the cards that make the deck what what actually makes it powerful. You don't have much to stand for. Um, Connor, I know we had a conversation about this before. Do you have anything you want to add on that? Yeah, I I think um, there there's a relative level of strength to signals and. Um, some of some of my favorite signals in cube are um, things like uh, like watching the basics for a couple packs. Um, a basic that is in a deck that somebody is playing is not going to come into the last three picks, uh, at least most of the time, because people are going to be picking it up. So if you see a couple of them come into those last few picks, then you can rest assured most of the time that that line probably hasn't been unpacked yet. And I've, I've built a lot of my most successful decks recently on those kinds of signals as well. Um, so, but the, the linchpin cards, the cards that really make your deck good, playing off of uh, Andrew's example, you know, you see Weavile GX go around, probably even wheels. Um, and uh, that, that could mean that dark is open for sure. But, uh, you know, maybe it's pack three, and you haven't seen a lot of powerful dark basics go around. You know, some of the some of the pieces that really make a dark deck powerful that you can really take advantage of. You see that Weavile, and you know, dark is an archetype that probably gets by with two Weavile. You probably wouldn't even take a third one if you already had two of them. So you see the Guzzlord go around. You see the Darkrai Prism Star go around. You see the Darkrai GX maybe. Those are all cards that define the deck. Like those are the cards you're going to win the game with. You're not going to win the game with Weavile GX. You're going to win the game with the the Pokemon that are actually powerful with the Weavile. So looking for those power cards can be a really strong indicator. Another one that I love to look for is Lugia EX. Uh, that is a card that people love to play if they can make it work. And a lot of the time they can't. And knowing whether somebody is in a line that can make it work is instrumental into knowing whether you can make it work so if uh, if lugia ex goes around the table then most of the time nobody's got a deck that can set up that lugia and if you're early on that could be an indicator that maybe some of the powerful accelerate accelerating lines in the cube haven't gone around yet so things like that um non-conventional signals at at a wider level but linchpin cards at a more specific level can be an even more important indicator. And even if it ends up, you know, you didn't see a linchpin card for a line and that line ended up open, somebody took that linchpin card. 
And even if you ended up in that line, your deck probably wouldn't been, wouldn't have been nearly as powerful as what it would have been if you did get it. So um, just something else to think about. Yeah, and another part of this uh, identifying which lines are open bit is uh, something that I like call testing the waters. So when you open up a pack and you see a, a stage two that maybe you're interested in, or it's even like some something that catches your eye, like it's like let's just say Greninja is in the pack or something, um, and you're not quite sure how contested that line is going to be, and especially if it's early in the draft, you don't even know if you want like if you're going to be able to get in that line. Um, something that I I've been doing, and I think uh, Connor from Crunchy, you've been doing as well, is just letting some stage twos go early and seeing what comes back to you. So that would mean um, okay, so Greninja's in my pack. I don't know if people want to play this line. Um, I don't know if I'm going to play this line. Let's let it come around, see what everybody else has a try at it, and see if if no one takes it. Maybe that's a good sign no one's really interested in the line. Um, I, I find that's a great strategy, especially if the line is, I wouldn't say questionable in terms of power level, but like something like Situate GX, I wouldn't expect to come back, even if it even if it doesn't get played. But if it's a line that you know, that like, okay, like it's, you know, it's not going to be the most contested line, but if you don't, you don't want to take it if someone else is going to be playing it. So, um, it's definitely a, a, not a bad idea to get a feel for the room. Uh, I've done that before myself. Uh, it's, it definitely makes a difference when you start seeing cards like that go around, um, to know, okay, everyone saw this card and no one took it, especially once it gets, once you have eight people in a draft, um, that is generally good information to say, okay, well then maybe I'll play it or maybe I'll take this one now and see what happens later. Um, definitely got to be careful when you do this though, because, uh, you do kind of run the risk of, uh, holding on to your early picks, which is something we talked about in our last episode where, okay, maybe I get the Greninja now and maybe we're three or four packs in and more Greninja start coming, but other people are pivoting and doing, you know, whatever it is. And if I'm not seeing more pieces for that line come through, then obviously, you know, we all know that's, that's a signal not to take it anymore, but not a bad idea to do early on to get a feel for what people are thinking. Connor, do you have any thoughts on that? I know we've talked about this before, before the episode. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the so I think you've outlined the point really well. The only thing that I really want to talk about um, that is kind of in addition is um, some stage twos are your linchpin cards. So Energy Trans Sceptile, for example, that's probably the card that you need to build your deck around. So if you see that, then you should... And, and you know you're interested in Sceptile. If you're completely uninterested in Sceptile, you probably won't take it anyway. But um, if, if Sceptile is on the table for you and you see that, you probably take that. Because then you start to look out for the Sceptile signals. You know, you start to see, hey, are am I seeing Tricos? Am I seeing Groviles? Um, am, I, am I seeing Sceptiles? <laughs> That's the, the biggest one, I guess. But the one that you're more likely going to see because there are more of them are the Tricos and Groviles and some of the support cards. But uh, if you see, you know, a stage two that is powerful, for sure, but um, maybe not the stage two that makes the deck on its own, or if it's a line that, you know, maybe has four or five good cards, but no defining card, then uh, then just let it go. You know, see what happens. Uh, if, if that card comes back, you know, if that solid stage two, solid line topper, um, strong synergy piece comes back to you, pretty likely that you can get into that line without too much competition. But if they don't, then it's very easy to just say, somebody's in that now. 
now I don't have to worry about that line. I don't have to think about, you know, maybe this is open and you can refine your search. You can refine your considerations for what decks you might play based on that information. So a big part of uh, cube is just kind of refining your observations based on what you're seeing, you know, having to think about every single line all the time is kind of overwhelming. So once you know, a line is contested, just check it off. Um, I, um, I actually, on um, for Blue's Cube, the, the Delta Mutant Cube, the previous one that is not totally mutant, the one that we played for the January-February Cube League, um, I had a notepad off to the side, and I saw a Sceptile EX in pack one. Very good card in the deck, but it's not the card that the deck is built around. The deck is definitely built around the Energy Trans and the Nurture and Heal cards. So I just let it go. I thought, okay, if it comes back, then I'll pick it up. And it didn't come back, and I wrote in all caps on my notepad, Septile is dead. <laughs> I just wrote it on the notepad, did not want to be in that line at all, and it really helps you think more quickly, it also helps you not overload yourself, because if you overload yourself, then you're going to forget things, and uh, and you're not going to be as effective. So letting stuff go, checking it off your list, don't, uh, don't put too much stock in things not coming back beyond, it's probably not open. And move on. I like the notepad idea. I might have to try that now. I I, I, I do it when I'm really serious, <laughs> but uh, well, I don't sure. usually do it. I like it though because like it's so hard to remember sometimes what you saw like two packs ago, especially if you're heavily invested in figuring out what's going on in the current time. So might have to try that in my next uh, cube league draft. Yeah, definitely give it a try. I um I've really liked it in some cases, especially in cubes where there are a lot of archetypes. Uh, I, I think I do it for my cube more than others just because uh, there are a lot of build around cards in my cube. So if I see build around cards not go not come back around, I might still see the stage one that they're attached to, but you know people can get by with like two, three stage ones or stage twos and, and still have a good deck as long as they have those build around cards. So um, it, it can definitely be very helpful and it can help you organize your thoughts and kind of reduce your level of mental stress that can uh, lead you to making mistakes. For sure. Um, so the last part of this touching the waters for me, and I do want to like asterisk this and say, um, you need to be very careful with this next part. Um, and that is letting cards through that only make sense for one type of deck. Um, I, I got a huge asterisk on that. So like if a card's a build around card that you absolutely need for your deck and you know that your archetype is trash without it, do not let that wheel. I see this way more than I should. Like players will try to wheel a certain card because like, oh yeah, no one's going to want this. Like, I, I can't even think of an example at the top of my head right now, but like, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about too. I can think of like many examples of like, oh, I tried to wheel it because it's only good in my deck, but it's like, it makes my deck. <laughs> If it's a yeah, it's a build around. You take the build around. Otherwise, you don't have a deck or you're pivoting. Like that's your two options at that point. But um, an example for this is so when we we're doing team challenge, uh, one of the decks that I was interested in is uh, a hit and run deck like Don Fan, uh, especially because I already had the pieces for it already. Um, and a few cards in that type of deck that really would only make sense in that deck was Polka Doll. Hit run to Polka Doll, and then they can't take a prize. Like maybe a control deck would want it or something, but like. Um, that's a card I would let through because there's quite a, there's a few of them in the queue just to see if anyone would take it. So Polka Doll made it around once, made it around twice because I already had a few. No one's taking the Polka Doll. That tells me no one's really interested in that card for hit and run. Um, that's a good sign for me. 
you can definitely like play around with this. Uh, it, you got to really understand the deck you're trying to build first. So don't just like let important cards build like we just said. Like if you're playing fire, don't let the welder go around because that just sends a signal that fire is open. But if it's like cards that are like really only good in your deck or that makes sense for your deck, like maybe Aqua Patch could be one that like it isn't a water defining card, but it is good in a water deck. And unless you need the Aqua Patch, you might be fine if you're if you're curious or if you're suspect if other people are on your line, letting it go around. Because even if it doesn't come back, you're not screwed, but you are benefiting from that information. And again, I want to reiterate: do not let linchpin, uh, do not let build around cards go through. You you should take those. But if it's a card that you are okay with not getting back, but you wanted the information, letting cards like that go through are definitely it's definitely helpful. I found myself in a lot of situations where I've identified those cards and said, okay, let's see if someone else takes it. If not, um, then I am safe in this archetype and I can just commit. If, if, if they have taken it, then um, I, I need to evaluate more of where I'm at in the draft and this, that, and the other. But uh, I find it's really helpful for identifying if lines are open. I've definitely used it a lot over the past month, and it's it's helped me exponentially figure out which lines to go into, especially if I'm torn between two. Um, so I, I just figured I'd share that one. That one's, that one's kind of a little bit more... A little bit, it takes a little bit more consideration on what decks you have available to you. But I, I think it can be a really effective way of seeing what the other people at the table are doing. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, letting through cards that people are unlikely to take can be a nice check just to see, is anybody like moving on to this? Has anybody pivoted onto this? Um, was I wrong when I first assessed that this line was open? Things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if you need the card to make your deck do stuff, then take it. Uh, it's nothing is worth ruining your own deck like no signal is worth ruining your deck because well how are you going to recover with the information you gain that's the, the ultimate thing you have to think about yeah i i i just feel like um it, it would it just feels at some points people overthink the the drafting the hard way and they're they feel like okay i need to stay as open as possible or okay, I don't want to commit to like maybe taking this one card that I need for my deck, but it's like, it's okay to take the card. If you need Welder to make your deck work, take Welder, even if it's like early into like the draft and you have pieces for it. Um, and with this tip, just definitely use it with caution. I don't use it in every draft, but I do it when I have it available to me. And it's something I didn't quite recognize until I started thinking more about drafting the hard way. So just something I figured it's worth mentioning while we're on the subject of breakthroughs. Uh, but I've talked long enough about my uh connor do you want to go into your next one yeah definitely I, I think this plays well with your point as well and uh kind of definitely has interplay with it and that's uh just chilling out just relax <laughs> no but uh in a in a more concrete sense you you don't need to have a deck in the first pack or two if you have more than like four packs uh, if you have an idea of what you're playing, if you have a solid, you know, start to a deck composition by the first half, totally fine. You know, you are you are in a totally fine spot. You might even be in a good spot, depending on how much information you gain, depending on, you know, what kind of supporter base you might be building in that time. So I see people so often try to get into a deck as quickly as they can. And have you seen that before, Andrew? Oh, yeah. I, I think that's something that a lot of people do where 
They want to they want to have their line secured. Like, okay, I have what I'm drafting. I can now pick those cards that I want, which we called in the last episode drafting the easy way. It comes up all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that's the more common way to draft in general by a significant margin. Um, but yeah, so people will try to get into a deck as quickly as possible because that does give you the highest odds of knowing what you're on right away and letting you take cards that are powerful for that strategy. However, if that strategy doesn't end up working out, then you are either going to have to hard pivot, which is not a place that anybody wants to be in, or you're going to have a deck that doesn't come together very well. So just kind of relax in your first pack or two. Let things go. You know, take linchpin cards. I, I like to take linchpin cards... Um, for the first pack or two, kind of regardless of what I'm on, because I don't have as much information as I can have later in the draft that'll let me know which deck is the best, given, you know, what people are playing and what I'm seeing go around. So, you know, let's say pack one, I see an energy transceptile and maybe some really powerful trainers, probably take the energy transceptile because that, that makes a deck. Pack two, I see a welder. Those cards do not go together at all. But most likely, I'm going to take the Welder because the Welder is going to allow the Fire deck to be very, very powerful. And at this stage in the game, I don't know what other people are going to play. And I don't want to be in a situation where I take a Sceptile and then somebody down the table has also picked a Sceptile in the first two picks and I'm literally never going to see that card. So it can be really, really important to just kind of relax. You also don't need to see every card in your archetype if you know it's open. So if you've done the groundwork, if you've done, you know, if you've interpreted the signals and you are certain or as certain as possible that a line is open, then don't freak out if you don't see the cards that make the deck early. So uh, I, I have an example actually just from this past weekend, we were playing in our team showdown draft and, uh, and Gyarados, was a line that I was just kind of picking pieces for. Uh, first couple of packs, we saw three Magikarps go around, and I'm like, eh, you know, I'm not really in Gyarados necessarily, but if I if I do see the Gyaradoses, then having these Magikarps will be nice, and it's pretty clear that nobody has seen a Gyarados yet because Magikarp would be a very, very high-priority pick given that the Tail Revenge Gyarados is in the cube. So just kind of picked them up here and there, and uh, I had three Magikarps, and I was pretty convinced that Gyarados was totally open but it wasn't until pack three that I got my first one. Um, and then I ended up making a totally uncontested Gyarados deck, and uh, and I went 3-0 with it. Uh, Andrew, do you have any examples similar to that? I mean, yeah, that was how I felt drafting um, in the same draft when I was trying to draft um, the deck I got on, which was, um, well, actually, originally I was trying to draft Donphan, and... When I had all the pieces for Donphan, I wasn't like the last two Donphans didn't come till the end of the pack, and I didn't end up playing Donphan, but I had all the stuff for it. Um, and that was the line I was interested in. I wasn't really worried though, because like, what are the two options? Are either the lines haven't come through yet, or someone's drafting an abysmal Donphan deck. Like I had the strong energy, I had the search for it, I had one of the hit and runs. So you know, you kind of gotta be logical in that sense of saying. So either someone is like panicking more than you are because they don't have any of the good pieces for their deck. Or maybe those lines just haven't come around yet. And, you know, I find myself in those situations, especially in a six-man draft. Like, I have a backup plan. Like, okay, I'm suddenly taking other, like, uncontested line. I was in the, I was in the, the line I'm in now, the big basics deck. That was, um, 
I knew it was also uncontested, so like I'm fine at that point. Um, and it really, it's really just about finding a, a, a deck that is going to work for you. So uh, at that point, like I know the two Dawn fans are out there. If someone's taking them, it's it's not really logical in my mind. So I'm not worried about it. It's there's no real reason to hard pivot. I, I am taking like because someone was taking the electric, so I was like, okay, I'll take these two. I have a backup plan in case that doesn't work out. I happen to play that deck instead. Uh, but it was nothing to freak out about. So I definitely agree. It's, if you have, you don't have to necessarily commit. And the other thing too, I wanted to bring up because that Sceptile to Welder example is perfect because something I, I feel like players do is they'll take a Sceptile. And if, if you're thinking about like, okay, well, I took the Sceptile and the Welder comes, but I don't want to like, you know, draft fire if I have the Sceptile because then I take a bad matchup of the field. It's like, you're overthinking it at that point. So just feel like in the beginning of the draft, you don't know what deck you're playing. Just because you took a Sceptile does not mean you're playing Sceptile. In fact, it, it doesn't even count. You don't have a Sceptile deck. You don't even have the pieces for it yet, right? You just have a Sceptile. So you don't have to, like, you know, commit yourself just because you took a Stage 2. And it's okay to have that. Okay, I took the Welder. Okay, maybe now I'm taking more of a Fire deck. Or maybe I just say more of the Grass pieces come through now. Okay, well, now you have a good matchup out of the field. So it's even better for you. So I, I find players tend to overthink, like, the matchup spread. And that maybe they're like, okay, I shouldn't take the welder here, or right, maybe I should. I don't know. Um, these two pieces don't really go together. It's like it's not about that. You're just trying to land. You just want a deck to play. So I, I definitely agree with that. Just chill out. Like take some pieces that you think are going to be deck defining. And generally, having those in your draft makes people less likely to play them anyway. So I, I definitely agree that that definitely helps you get to the other end a lot more, a lot less stressful, I should say. Yeah, and, and to continue on something you said there that I really liked, you when you first picked that Energy Transceptile, you have one card out of a 60-card deck. Like you, you do not have a Sceptile deck. You have the tools that you need to get into a good Sceptile deck. And you take the Welder because the Welder is a tool that you would like to get into a good Fire deck. And then by, you know, the end of pack one... But really, really by the end of pack two is where I like to kind of know what direction I'm going. And that can even change, you know, if I'm playing with seven packs, then I feel pretty okay if I don't know what I'm doing halfway through pack three, because you have more time. But the big thing is, while you should be drafting around the linchpin cards, you should be enabling your big playmakers, you shouldn't see one of them and instantly commit to that deck, because while they are what make the deck really powerful, they are not the deck on their own. And uh, and that's something very important to think about. So um, one other thing that is in, in almost direct contrast to the point that Andrew made before, but it's very conditional as well, is um, you can often wheel cards you need if you have done your homework and you know that they're open. And this is not something that you should do with your with your critical cards ever. Um, even if you are absolutely certain that, you know, nobody is on Typhlosion and you know that nobody is going to play Typhlosion Prime in their deck and you really want that Sycamore, you should take that Typhlosion Prime. <laughs> because if it doesn't come around, then your deck is so much worse. And it's just a really powerful card. The odds that somebody takes that card because it is really powerful on its own and because they would expect it to end up in somebody else's deck. That's so high. So don't don't put yourself at risk like that. However, 
you can often wheel cards you need because they are open if they're especially if they're low value cards um, an example of that while my deck didn't turn out amazing while my draft didn't go amazing in the last champions cube um, the draft video that we have up on the channel showcases me doing exactly that um, i let some basics go through go around and, and i even go around twice i think that i absolutely needed for my deck like my deck was in dire need of basics however i was absolutely certain that those lines were open nobody was on them and there were other cards in the pack that i considered to be higher priority that i also needed very badly or maybe very powerful supporters and i was low on supporters because i was low on supporters in that draft i let a couple of cards that i definitely needed go very late because people are not going to take things like riolu like sneasel any of your basics most of your stage ones they're not going to take them if that archetype is definitely off the table however if you don't do your work here if you don't you know figure out that your deck is open then that's a really risky thing to do and uh, sometimes you may actually find out that your archetype is not as open as you thought <laughs> so that can be a blessing in itself but still not a position you want to put yourself in so really setting up the groundwork there can help you a lot with wheeling um, yeah, you get. Oh, go ahead, please. Oh, so I was just gonna say you gotta be careful when you're mid maxing. Now, I definitely agree. Actually, if you didn't say it, I was gonna say it. you should definitely check out that video. It's on our YouTube channel, P3 Podcast. It is a great example of when to do this and when to execute that kind of strategy because at that point you had both weaviles, so it was it wouldn't have made any sense. Well, it wouldn't have made much sense for anyone else to take a sneasel out of those packs uh, because. No one had any inclination that okay, this is this is a good type for me to take. Um, so it was the right time to do that thing. Um, but yeah, definitely be careful. Uh, and it might be something where you might just have to, if if you want to try I mean, when you try min maxing that way, you need to understand the reality and the risk that you're taking. I do think um, it's all calculated. Like it is something that you understand what you are. Okay, I, I need this card and I need both these cards in these pack. Okay, I can afford this one to go around given the information I have. You should be thinking about it pragmatically like in that, which I, you know, I, of course I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't listening to Connor's thought process when he was doing the draft, but you could definitely see that he was evaluating his choices in that pack. Cause you had like a lot of crucial cards to your deck in that, like right next to each other. Uh, evaluate, okay, I can afford to let these cards go because I have all the Weaviles, so the Sneasels will probably come back, and, but I really need, like, this Lucario level X, or so on and so forth. Um, that's the kind of stuff where you need to start doing your homework, uh, and that, that's where this is probably going to be the hardest thing, because it takes a lot of experience, so, uh, don't go into every draft with that kind of mentality that, okay, I can let this wheel come back around, uh, without having done your homework, and that you are absolutely confident in knowing that, okay, this is what, uh, basics and space will come back around because you might end up hurting yourself in the process uh, so it's just an air of caution that it might not always work out but it, you you should evaluate why or why not something got taken uh if if you find yourself in that kind of uh, situation absolutely and um this is this this next point is something that we've been hitting on the entire time but i wanted to definitely point out more specifically and uh more clearly and that's um speculate take powerful cards from different strategies that is how you start a draft off in such a way that you are able to go into whatever powerful deck comes to you 
Take powerful cards from different strategies and wait. Wait to see the cards that come around. Now, if you have an incredibly powerful build around card and you see a stage two that works really well with that build around card on pick five, you snap that up <laughs> because, you know, pick five is fairly late. That stage two is really good for you. Um, if you see a stage two, five picks in, most of the time that stage two is open, provided you haven't seen a bunch of cards that uh, would indicate opposite. Uh, you just invest in the most powerful cards that you see for different decks, and then wait to see what comes. Because when you do get into that deck, you're going to have so many powerful options already because you took those cards that could make that deck work right from the beginning. So I don't like to prioritize uh, even like high power trainers and supporters early on uh, as much as playmaking cards for that reason. I think that in the first couple of packs, usually my number one picks are the cards that make decks go and facilitate different archetypes because I can get supporters in packs two through six. But if I am absolutely confident that my line is open by the end of pack two, then I can take a lot of liberties as far as wheeling stuff, as far as not having to invest in other lines or things like that, because I already know that I'm gonna get the stuff that I need for my deck. Now I can get the glue, I can get the consistency, all those generally useful cards that are gonna be high priority picks for the entire draft now they are my absolute number one high priority pick because I've already got my good stuff that I need, or at least I've already got part of it, so I'm going to be able to dedicate more picks to that consistency. So uh, essentially, this whole point kind of comes around to don't panic, relax, you don't need to be in your deck right away, give yourself the best opportunity to build the generally best deck you can no matter what you end up in, and then once you can identify what is available to you, that's when you go into it and you commit. I think a lot of this also plays off of, it's really good to go into drafts without a bias. And what I mean by that is like, I, I know for me, and at least how I would go into some drafts thinking, I really want to play a certain deck. Like that just sounds like a lot of fun. And it would stress me out because like, okay, trying to play a specific deck in a cube is a low odds percentage, depending on the deck, I guess. Uh, rather than like I rather just letting the draft sort of decide the path you should go which is how I, I feel like you should be doing it uh, it makes the experience a lot less stressful so if I go into a draft I really want to play um, I don't know Decidueye GX in Vince Cube that's a really hard one to get because that's gonna uh, you and everybody else wants to play that because it's a popular card rather than I'm gonna wait and see what I get maybe I get past some dark box pieces maybe I get past Blaziken pieces it feels a lot less stressful trying to just, okay, make the best out of what I see rather than hoping I get these cards and I'm taking cards in preparation. So when you do it that kind of way, putting the cart before the horse, it, it ends up just leading to a lot more stressful draft and you pivot, cause all sorts of mayhem. Yeah, and uh, so we talked about my cube or champion's cube draft uh, earlier in the podcast, but I definitely wanted to draw attention to it again after this point, because that draft is also an excellent example of coming in with too much of a bias. Um, I, I could have ended up on a better deck if I had just gone with the cards that I was comfortably seeing, as opposed to coming in with the notion that I wanted to be on a certain deck so much. 
Um, so it does showcase some really neat skills as far as wheeling stuff and, and chilling out in that way, but it really reflects Andrew's point as well. If you go in with a bias, then things are going to often turn out much worse for you than they would otherwise, provided the cube is well-balanced. Right. So last thing I want to talk about is my my last uh, breakthrough, and it's it's transitioning from planes. This is more of a cube builder's uh, perspective, and that is building line synergies around your cube, which is pretty, you know, straightforward. I'm sure a lot of people are like, okay, duh. You want your lines to synergize and work together. But what I oftentimes see is when cube builders put lines in their cube and they have a very specific idea. Like, okay, I have this set of Pokemon and they're going to do, they're going to work with this like trainer card that I put in there. Uh, it's going to be great. But like, you got to think about from a draft perspective, sometimes it's not that easy to draft one specific line or it's going to work specifically with a different, with another line. And players have all sorts of ideas. So I've found a huge breakthrough for mine, especially after playing a lot of other cubes and you know, evaluating some of the best cubes that we've drafted, especially, uh, you know, looking at your cube too, Connor, you, a lot of uh, inspiration took from just having the archetypes themselves synergize. So uh, maybe fighting doesn't need to synergize with the other fighting types in your cube. Maybe fighting is just, maybe it's a hit and run deck and maybe it synergizes with some of the spread. Maybe it synergizes with some of the uh, stall tactics like Polka Doll or other cards like that. Like en engaging multiple routes for these decks to work has proven to be way more interesting and way more effective for making a great cube experience. So I implore cube builders to look at their lines and see, okay, what cards, not just like Pokemon, but like what cards can make this line work? And is it, does it have different routes it can take? Are there better lines that maybe work off different lines and maybe if i have a special condition type pokemon maybe that works with a different line or maybe it works with like maybe like a verbank strategy different ways you can take this i i know for me a lot of it's just been offering up more ways to make a line work than just one so like i have like a lolan golem in my queue and it's this big powerhouse card that uh it's pulling energy to itself doing more damage and there's a few different ways you can play it. And I want it to be a kind of a deck that players took and they might, it's, you know, I think it's a weird card because you don't really see a Lone Golem in cube, but you know, you can play it and okay, I'm going to go hit and then I'm going to pivot to another Lone Golem and then hit. And then it's, it's sort of a stall tactic in that way. Or maybe you have a uh, sort of a wacky, big energy exploding attack. Like maybe you're playing Pachirisu and you're getting all this energy in play and then you go Shaman, you move all the energy on there. You have a big attacker right off the bat different strategies that you can build with this one line is way more interesting and fun than if I said, okay, you're only playing this line to do one thing and specifically one thing only. You're just capping off the potential for that, uh, that archetype. And then I also, also offer up different lines that synergize. So at the time I had Lantern, now I have Deganadel to absorb the energy. That's an option. I have EXP shares for you to be able to keep the energy in play. I also have Electrike or, or Dyna Dynamotor, uh, eels for you to accelerate energy on so multiple routes for you to get there that way if one line gets taken the other lines are available and you can still come up with a really good deck i think so often i see that's that okay this maybe maybe the alone golem only has the eels and you have to trap both of those to make it work okay well what if somebody took the eels now i'm left without alone golem maybe they had a different deck they wanted to play it in that's where you start to run into trouble and you start capping off some of your potential with some of these lines is if you don't give them enough pieces so uh, Connor, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. I know you had this, uh, we talked about this before in the podcast, but definitely that was a lot of theory behind your cube and how you developed your lines. Yeah, it was definitely one of the biggest things that I was thinking about when I made my cube. Um, I had I had seen tons and tons of cubes already at that point. You know, I just built my cube last year, so it hasn't been that long at all. 
and um, I wanted to give decks lots of different angles. I wanted to, different lines that have lots of different interplay and lots of different parts of the strategy that you can use and you can push and you can build your deck around. Um, I, I wanted build around cards to be plentiful. That way people could make all kinds of cool decks. They could mix and match and they could ultimately end up on a deck that they felt was very powerful no matter what they were on. So, uh, but that means you have to put a lot of the build around cards in, of course, but you have to make it so decks don't need every single one of those build around cards to be good. Um, you know, if I put, if I put Shaman level X and Verbank City Gym and Herbal Energy and Gardenia and the Metapod from Heart Gold Soul Silver that eliminates grass weakness and, and my grass line needs every single one of those cards to be a good deck. That's that's too much. You've you've made it so that a good grass deck will never come together. So in the same vein, you don't want to make it so that a perfect grass deck is unbeatable. However, it is okay if those decks are very, very good. A perfectly drafted deck should feel like a perfectly drafted deck. If a perfectly drafted deck just feels okay, that line's way too weak. Um, so Keep that in mind. Definitely something to think about. And as a cube builder, something to kind of tailor your cube toward. Your lines don't all have to be modular. They don't all have to precisely, you know, work within themselves. They can work with other lines, but don't make it a challenge for those kinds of lines to come together. Make it so that there are multiple options for everything that can allow them to make a very good deck with. And, uh, and that's going to lead to happier players. It's going to lead to a more satisfying experience. And it's going to lead to a ton of really cool decks. Yeah, and the last part I want to talk about this, because this is something I, I definitely, I, I wish more people would take into consideration, is that you're a cube builder. You're essentially like a dungeon master. Now, do you, as a dungeon manager, want to have your people playing your cube? Like, okay, I, I set up this ingenious line. Now you have to figure out the pieces. Is that as rewarding as them taking the tools that you gave them and solving it in their own way? Like the point of cube and drafting a cube is that, okay, I, I am the pilot here. I am drafting the pieces to make my own deck. It's very personal in that respect. When you kind of force people's hand to go a certain direction and say, okay, I only want this type to be played this specific way, you take a little bit of the fun out of it. And you got to consider uh, that's how you, how you build your lines around that. So not every line is going to be like filled with tons of options and you know versatility, but you want to make sure that every line isn't so modular and you know matter of fact that it, it feels very rigid. And I, I definitely drafted some cues where it feels like this. We're like, okay, the dark deck has to play this one way, and the psychic deck has to play this other way. And there's no build arounds. There's no other way to play the deck. And it starts to feel very like boring, very stale. And I don't feel like, I feel like I'm just, okay, I'm crossing the loss of the list. Okay, I got this card, I got this card, I got this card, okay. You don't see anything new. So if you find your cube in that spot, which I'm saying from experience, I've been in that same spot before. Take a look at your line synergies. Take a look at, am I, am I just making these archetypes too narrow? Is there anything I can do to broaden it up? Is there anything I can pair with it? When you start asking yourself these questions, that's when your cube starts to get more interesting and you start having more fun. So. Think of yourself like a dungeon master. You want your people who are playing your cube to have options and approach things in the way that makes sense to them, not necessarily the way that makes sense to you. So just something to think about, something that I've definitely haven't have had to learn over the years, but it's been a really rewarding experience and I, I honestly feel very good about it. So hopefully that's useful to somebody out there. 
Yeah, I, I really like your comparison there. Um, I'm sure this will come as a surprise <laughs> to people, <laughs> jokingly, of course, but uh, I, I'm also a dungeon master. Um, so I, uh, I really like the comparison, actually. A dungeon master's job is to make sure their players have fun, and um, a cube builder's job is to make sure their players have fun. So you have the same mission. A uh, cube builder is going to need to be slightly more analytical, well, significantly more analytical about exactly what cube cards they put in, but um, it, it's the same thing. If you make an adventure that's too rigid or an adventure that's not fair for your players, they're not going to have a good time. If you make a cube that is unbalanced or that can only be played in specific ways, if your lines only come together in one way, then those are also not going to result in a good experience. So uh, very, very good comparison there. And I, I would never have thought about that on my own. Yeah, I always I always feel like you have to empathize with your, with your drafters. And that's kind of like... The, the main experience is how, how they approach cube. And I think that's what we all take from it. So I try to, at least as a builder, to always keep them in the forefront and think about how they're experiencing it. But uh, again, hopefully that's helpful for somebody out there. Uh, Connor, any last thoughts on these breakthroughs? Anything you want to add before we move to our conclusion? Nothing specific, but uh, I know that this episode is similar to the last one, going to be pretty dense. It's going to be difficult for people to wrap their head around. That's totally okay. Once again, just want to reiterate, this is something, all these skills are things that you learn over time. You have to experiment with them. You have to see exactly to what extent you can apply these lessons to your drafts, exactly what skills you need to judge all of these and, and using them in practice as opposed to just theory can be very different. So don't put too much pressure on yourself to like learn all these things right away and don't expect it to come together immediately because it will definitely take time. So um, that uh, that's just a little addendum that I would like to tack on at the end there. Oh, definitely. And I'd like to also add that if you have questions at all or if any of this, you, you feel like you're having a hard time understanding and maybe thought about it and then you get to a point where like, hey, I don't understand what you're saying here. Feel free to reach out to us in the comments. It not only helps our podcast grow, it will help other people who have similar questions see uh, get answers for them as well as it's the easiest way to get in touch with us we check our uh, our comment section all the time uh, i mean it's not like we're getting bombarded with comments so there's a good chance that if you have a question you'll get it answered pretty quickly so like i said it, it helps the video grow for one so you're doing us a service but then also you know if you have questions answered we would love to answer any for you so definitely a safe space for that um you also can reach out to us in the cube discord we're fairly accessible in there too cube helps a great place to go if you're not already in the discord you can also message us on twitter there's tons of ways to get a hold of us but again if you have any questions about anything we cover in this podcast please let us know you can just ask us in the comments we'll get back to you right away yeah i i do completely agree with that um i would love to talk to people about some of the topics in these or in this episode, because this is literally what Andrew and I are experiencing right at this very moment as cube players. Like, this is not a dated topic. This is something that we are working through all the time that we're constantly thinking about. So definitely feel free to reach out to us on Discord as well if you want to have a more in-depth back and forth discussion, talk about your own experiences, get feedback, and, uh, and really have a conversation about it. Um, I know I would definitely love to talk to people about the topics in this episode and your experiences, and I'm sure Andrew is the same. Yep, absolutely. So we've talked long enough. Um, hopefully this is useful for everyone out there. Um, we'll be moving to our conclusion section. We'll be back in just a second.
All right, welcome back to our conclusion segment. So, uh, apologies for the last episode being uh, delayed. It was it was a little bit of a crazy week, uh, but you can expect regular episodes to come out here on forward. So, if you're listening to this on the April 22nd, the next episode you can expect will be on May 6th. So that'll be right after the Cube League starts, um, but. Hopefully, it'll be two weeks after this first episode airs. So, May 6th is when you can expect the next episode. That is a guarantee. All right. I will, I will not leave you hanging. You can expect this episode to come out then. So, also, stay on the lookout. So, this weekend, we'll have our... Well, hopefully, we'll have our Cube League finals from the current Cube League, which is the Gen 7 Cube that we've talked about before. And then, that next week... So, this is after May 1st. You can expect to see a draft video like you have before. So lots of content coming your way. It's going to be very exciting. I am really interested to see a mutant draft um, recording and what that's going to look like and how people are going to navigate their drafts. It, it's going to be a ton of fun. So if you aren't already, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That is where all of this content will be featured. Besides, and our Twitch. Our Twitch channel is where you'll find the live streams for any of the gameplay um you'll definitely find live streams for the draft for champions cube later on um so just look look out for all that information but if you haven't checked our youtube channel again can't recommend it enough uh i think that's the bulk of it am i missing anything connor no i don't think so and i gotta say i am uh, i'm excited to cast the finals for sure um for the current cube league we have four different decks in contention right now we have a straight straight empoleon deck we have a dark box we have this really strange toolboxy deck, and we have this Blaziken checkmate deck. So four very different decks. Really excited to see which one comes out on top. Uh, my money is on JL, and I definitely want to know who you have pinned for the winner. Uh, but I also want to say, before I pass it off to you, uh, I am so excited to commentate the mutant draft because I know last one we had some very strong opinions, especially I had some really strong opinions on uh, on some of the picks that we were seeing. And mutant is just such a different environment that uh, I'm really excited to see what happens this time. I, I'm gonna have to do so much homework to know what all these cards do because it is it is such a wild ride. Just uh, so many lines you can get into. There's so many avenues. It's gonna be insane. I can't wait. Yeah, but uh, uh, who do you have pinned for, for this month's Cube League? Oh God, I'll be honest. I haven't looked too closely at Cube League since I got knocked out early, but um, JL's playing Empoleon, right? Yeah, so JL has a straight Empoleon deck. He has mm -hmm. Meg Cargo and Orangaroo as deck. well. He's playing the deck I wanted to play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, me and my one Piplup. No, I actually really liked his deck. I like uh, Chimerex. Is that right? I, I don't know. So I've always said his name Chimerex because it's like Chimera and then Rex, but... I've heard different people say Chimerex, so uh, sincere apologies if we've been saying your name wrong, and pr please correct us, but I will continue to say Chimerex until otherwise noted. So Chimerex, Chimerex, correct us in the comments uh, if you're listening to this, um, but his deck looks really strong too. Um, and then I do, I've actually, I tested against Vic's deck uh, with my with my jank uh, before, and I do like the checkmate style. I'm actually sort of Buy it. I really like Checkmate. It's such a cool deck, such a cool archetype. I'm actually rooting for Vic. I really would like to see Checkmate win because he's got such an interesting uh, thing going with the Blaziken. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hope that uh, Vic wins this, but we'll ultimately have to see uh, what happens in the finals. Yeah, very excited to see who wins, um, but uh, definitely chomping at the bit to cast this draft. 
it, it's going to be a lot of fun. I I know for sure. I hopefully hopefully we'll see some some crazy uh some crazy decks built because you can really you really hone your your different archetypes in mutant. You have tons of options. You don't necessarily have to go one specific way. I mean, especially the test draft we did last week, it was just so many interesting decks came out of that. It's, it's definitely a wild ride. That's why I encourage you if you want something exciting and fun that you want to draft in, sign up on Limitless for our Cube League. It's fun. It's easy. It's free. Uh, anyone can do it. All you need is an internet connection. So assuming you're listening to this podcast, you probably already have that checked away. Uh, and we can help you get set up any with your untap and whatever it is you may need. But yeah, check it out. The links will be in the description. Um, but yeah, that's kind of wrapping things up. I guess, you know, what's been going on with you, Connor? Anything that's so uh, been going on you want to talk about? Yeah, I've uh, been doing a bunch of stuff that I enjoy. Uh, first one, I guess, I'll talk about is uh, the new magic set, Strixhaven. Um, I've been drafting a ton of Strixhaven, and I've really, really been enjoying it. Um, it, it can feel a little bit high variant sometimes because you need to have cards come through, and because there are only really five different decks you can get into, people kind of pivot a lot, and sometimes you end up having your draft fizzle even though you didn't necessarily do anything wrong. So um, that said, this set is super cool. Uh, the bombs are mostly not crazy strong, um, and I like formats like that where you know the, they're really defined by the commons and uncommons and um, very interactive. I've just really been enjoying it. So if you're interested in magic, if you're interested in magic draft, or if you just want to try something new, strongly recommend drafting Strixhaven on Arena. Um, it probably sounds like we're sponsored, but we are definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Although we could be, if you ever wanted to, if Magic ever wanted to sponsor a Pokemon Cube podcast. Yeah, what's, I mean, what's the coast? I mean, we got you. Right, I'm sure that's very helpful for them. They'll, they'll be in contact with us soon. <laughs> um, I know for me, uh, like I, so I guess think about me, I, I really like uh, Broadway musicals. I mean, I was previously a music major before I switched to um, going a programmer, but uh, I have a huge affinity for music. I, I love watching, uh, you know, professional musicians do their work. I have a huge amount of respect for them and the crafts they do. So, uh, really, what 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 got me? I found uh, watching. I guess this isn't so much Broadway, but she reacts to Broadway um, singers. It's this vocal coach. I can't remember her name. I think her name's Hannah, but she's like a vocal coach that like watches these uh, these like Broadway singers doing their bits. And she'll watch other things, but like primarily the Broadway stuff's interesting because she understands the technique and like offers up a lot of useful information of like, oh, they need to drop their draw here. They need to like do whatever. And I'm not a singer, so I, I don't want to give any false pretenses there or oversell my ability. But it's like really interesting to watch because um, while I'm not like a, a singer, I can understand like what she's talking about. And she's really invested in the video she's watching. And as someone who, so let's say she watches a song like, uh, like Christopher Jackson singing One Last Time from Hamilton. Like I love that song and anyone can probably figure out Christopher Jackson's amazing singer. But then it's like you get more in-depth knowledge because she's a professional voice teacher. So she can like talk to, okay, he's doing this really well. He can, he could like, you appreciate it more is what I'm trying to say. Um, so that's been really fun to watch. I've been binging a ton of those videos just because, I mean, it's stuff I've watched before, but now it's like I'm getting a different look at it, which has been kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. Man, you said one last time. So um, for anyone who doesn't really know me in real life, uh, I love to sing. <laughs> and One Last Time is probably my single favorite song from all of Hamilton to sing. Gosh, it's just so, so cool. Um, so many interesting things going on in that song. And uh, 
I, uh, I could definitely see that being very interesting to watch. I might have to look out for some of those myself. Um, I'm also a really, really big musical nerd, and uh, I was in musical theater for several years and really, really enjoyed that. So, gosh, I'm... Uh, it's something that I haven't really been interacting with as much lately. I have been trying to kind of get my voice back in shape. I've been doing more singing than I had been in the past, um, or the past, I don't know, I guess few months, but, uh, it's, uh, it's something that I've been trying to do more of as well. And I really like singing and, and music in general. So yeah. Hannah Bales is her name. Uh, B-A-Y-L-E-S. She's really good. If you really like uh, Broadway or you're like, I don't know if this all sounds interesting to you. I definitely recommend checking her out. She does a ton of different videos. Um, another thing too that like um, has kind of got me exposed and I, I kind of go like in like waves with music. So um, I'll I'll usually go back and forth through like you know Broadway shows. And one I really like in particular is Beetlejuice, uh, which unfortunately is no longer at the uh, forgot where they were at and on Broadway. But it was a really cool musical, and one they have so many great singers. One in particular is the girl who plays Lydia who's like one of the main stars of the show and her name is Sophia Ann Caruso. And one thing that Hannah Bales reacted to, which I just did not realize is that, um, was a, a rendition of life on Mars was a David Bowie song that is outfitted for this musical called Lazarus, which I've never really listened to, but her version of life on Mars. is so breathtaking. I have literally had it on my a Spotify playlist on loop for like the past week. Cause it just keeps getting stuck in my head. And it's just, I never even like, I never even heard that version before. It's just great to have like a song that you just haven't, it just kind of comes out of nowhere and you're like, oh man, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> One of those moments for me this week. I know that that musical has, uh, some people have really taken to it. And unfortunately it, it, I think some people didn't take to it as much and that ended up ending its run a little bit early, but, uh, as for, you know, COVID didn't help, of course. As um, far as Beetlejuice? Yeah. Yeah, Beetlejuice was going to be on there till May, of, like like May last year, I think May twentieth. But then, uh, COVID kind of cut it early. Um, the soundtrack though is on uh, Spotify, so if anyone's interested, maybe they like the movie. I, I do think the musical does it pretty good justice, and Alex Brightman makes a great Beetlejuice. So I feel like I'm going to add for the show. Also, not sponsored, <laughs> probably not going to be, but um, the Sophia and Caruso is an insane singer. The Life on Mars rendition, I definitely recommend if you like. Uh, just I don't know if you're familiar with her at all or you're familiar with that musical and you like her voice definitely recommend checking that out that's a really good rendition of that song yeah I uh, so so I um, the thing that I wanted to follow that with was um, I heard that she like carried the show that she was absolutely incredible um, so I'm uh, really excited to kind of see um, you know her performance in the show and listen to that you know rendition of life on mars like you've talked about we'll definitely have to uh do some looking into that i uh i've been listening to a lot of new music while i've been working lately and uh, especially when i'm in the office i listen to a ton of music so um we'll uh, definitely have to keep that <laughs> keep that marked for something that i want to listen to yeah for sure now life on mars is from a different musical when she was younger which actually makes it more impressive she's like 15 when she sings this but she sings like she's been doing this for like 20 years and she definitely does do a really good job in Beetlejuice her and Alex Brightman make such a good team I just if you haven't seen it I, I definitely recommend at least like checking out the, the soundtrack because it's good but it, it 
they're such talented actors. I, I hope they like keep going, like do other shows because I'd love to see them in something else too. Yeah, I think I think I've seen her in at least something else before. Like I saw her face and I I thought she looked familiar, but I don't remember what it was. Um, just to uh, just to toss another musical recommendation into the ring. I know this one is um, fairly well known, but um, not. I, I I talked to musical buffs and they haven't listened to it quite as much, so. Uh, figure i'll introduce it uh hades town hades town is a really really cool musical it won best musical in like 2019 or something something fairly recently um and uh it's got this really cool like folky kind of southern like just all these really really cool um there's like bluesy sounds and um it's just uh really unique for a musical and um some of the performances especially andre de shields just absolutely blow me away with how good they are so uh the music is incredible if you're able to listen to that definitely do and uh, i don't think it's possible to watch the whole musical online but i know they have a couple of excerpts uh, like the oscars and that kind of thing that you can watch online and you can really get a feel for um, what those actors can do and how they play their parts so very exciting to listen to and uh, strongly recommend that just to throw another musical at you. You actually haven't checked out Hades Town. I will now because I have I have a lot of time on my hand while I work, so I might as well uh, play some music. So I do like listening to new musicals. It is, you know, it's just nice. It's it's good music. It's nice to hear, you know, professionals sing, especially in something that sort of tells a story. I think it makes it more interesting. I, I definitely am excited to see this is completely out of left field in a way like the In the Heights movie that's in Ooh, the yeah. by Lin-Manuel Miranda I saw a trailer for that the other day I know that's not new that trailer's been out for a while but like wow it, it sounds amazing right off the bat I am so excited to see that come through I don't know when that's coming out I think this summer but I don't know if you know I guess I could look I don't know I, I was really up on it but then I think it got moved but uh, COVID definitely yeah um, yeah change things around i i'm also very much looking forward to that movie i don't know i, I listen to some of the songs in it and i'm like wow you can like really hear lin-manuel miranda in this music <laughs> like you can hear his style that comes through in hamilton especially comes through in even like moana uh, there are these similarities between the styles of the three and it's just so cool to hear that come through you know just listening to his body of work and him having such an underlying style even though the topic matter is so different um and uh i'm, I'm super excited to see that musical as well or see the movie for it yeah it, it comes into theater and on hbo max june 17th so that's really not that far away yeah only a couple of months i'm excited okay cool anything else new you want to talk about oh goodness i um let's see been drafting a lot of magic Path of Exile, it's pretty fun. I, I have waves. I'm kind of done with my current wave already. It, it came and went in the, the time between episodes. <laughs> but yeah, that game is really fun. Uh, so if you've not tried that, you like fast-paced action RPGs, then that is the place to be. Um, I don't know. I uh, Oh yeah, I've, uh, I've been playing a lot of old school nancy drew games as well with my girlfriend um they're like uh point and click adventures from uh i don't know the the mid to late 90s on to the late 20 teens 
Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen them before, but oh, that reminds me of like Pajama Sam. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, it's kind of mm-hmm. like um, I don't know. It's kind of like uh, more grown-up Pajama Sam. It, it's not like adult yeah, or anything, but um, it's uh, probably got more mature themes than Pajama Sam in it. You know, sometimes the mystery will revolve around like somebody being murdered, and I don't think murder would play so well in Pajama Sam. So. No, <laughs> uh, but yeah, very similar experience. Definitely, just uh, kind of solving puzzles and moving around in a point-and-click way, and uh, probably hits a lot of the same notes. So that's been a lot of fun just to play with my girlfriend. They're, uh, you know, they're varying quality, um, and I, I think there's a pretty general consensus that some of them are much, much better, and some of them are much worse. So um, it's almost as fun to play the bad ones, just because you can make fun of them while you play them so unabashedly but generally wouldn't recommend the the worst ones to people playing alone but some of the better ones are are really interesting uh have really nice mysteries and puzzles so they're cool and uh and i don't think they've gotten a lot of exposure outside of some very select circles yeah uh actually something would be a lot of fun it's kind of like when you watch old movies and like like old bad movies and you can like point out how like dumb they are oh absolutely yeah something I was going to transition unless you have anything else you want oh, to Oh, no, no, no. Please go ahead. I was going to say the last thing I really wanted to talk about, and it's something we already talked about in the beginning, is just huge shout-outs to Best Pal Owl for KubeCogo. I've been really blown away by the quality of that website. I think it's enabled tons of uh, new possibilities for the Cube community, especially the Cube Pokemon community, that uh, if you haven't already checked it out, I just can't recommend it enough. I've had a ton of fun editing my own cubes on there. I've got to look at everybody else's cubes now. There's tons of them on there. And I think it's going to do us a lot of good now to have sort of a central unit where everybody can go to, to this is cube. This is where you can find cubes at. You can look at how they're constructed. I just, I can't speak to any, any, any more how amazing of a platform that is and how much it's going to benefit the community. So huge shout out to Best Pal for providing that uh, for us. Yeah, Best Pal absolute monster um, in general, but also especially over these last few months getting Cube Koga online. Uh, I know it was a big undertaking for him, and um, I think it's pretty much all self-financed right now. So, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Cube Koga, if you want to make a Patreon or something, then uh, that could be a, a worthwhile endeavor. <laughs> but uh, just in general, for anybody that is in the Cube community, making a Cube, wants to look at Cubes... You know, even just wants to like simulate packs of cubes. That's that's how we made the Cracker Pack today. There's a pack simulator in every single cube on the site. Uh, it, it's really just a game changer. It makes so many things so much easier, so much easier to look at, and um, uh, it, it's absolutely amazing the amount of work he's put into it. Yeah, he needs to sell like shirts or something with that logo on it. Because I, I would definitely buy one. Oh, I would buy one. Like that, that logo is clean. Now I know Davi did make the logo. So Yeah, Davi de Sosa. Uh, he he's a killer as well. Like he so not only did he make the visual for Cube Koga, he has also made the Cube Discord's new logo. He's made all the visuals for the tournaments that we're running, and he's made some visuals for the Patreon that we are very slowly making. <laughs> so um, for the Discord. For yes, the Discord. for the Discord, for the Discord, not for the <laughs> podcast. Yeah, very, uh, very important distinction to make. But uh, yeah, he he is also just doing insane work. And I would 100% buy a shirt with the Cube Koga logo on it because it looks clean. And uh, and I would, <laughs> I'd be happy to support the site and, uh, and rep Cube Koga. 
yeah, I thought, I thought it'd be good to mention that again because it, it honestly, the amount of work is it. And as a developer myself, I can appreciate that you know he he did a really stellar job and he's continuing to update it. Gotten bombarded with suggestions, which you know it's kind of the reality of it. He's been a good sport about it, so I do appreciate how he's done so far and really hope if you guys haven't do check it out. It's cubecoga.net. Um, you can find pretty much any cube anyone's built so far. They put up there. It's super easy to do. You also can export them, which is kind of nice. Uh, through the drafter so you can also draft some of these cubes that you see maybe you're interested in um but yeah i think that's gonna wrap up this episode once again you've been listening to pq with the one and only pokemon cube podcast i'm your host andrew martin brought to you with connor lavelle and we'll see you guys next time <laughs>